This is Mark C. Danielewski, and you're listening to Booked Podcast. Welcome to Booked, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livia Snedden. You may have come to this episode expecting that this would be a review for Grady Hendrick's new book, The Southern Book Club's Guide to Vampire Slaying. Um, but it's not. We had something else kind of pop up on our radar that we wanted to do. So we'll consider this a little bonus episode. Both Rob and I were, were trying to get around to reading Carpenter's Farm, which is the new project that Josh Mallerman is working on, where he's posting chapters online um, three times a week. So we thought, hey, let's check this out and then let's see if Josh wants to talk about it. And he was nice enough to do so. Yeah, it's interesting timing with that because of all of the kind of changes that people are experiencing in their lives. And I'm not sure if this is a product of that or just uh, something that he'd been working on anyway. But uh, yeah, we did some reading. We read up on it and we're going to talk to Josh about that and probably a ton of other stuff as well. I do want to say, um, and, and I'm saying this without knowing what the result is going to be, if it feels a little choppy in parts, there are some things that we talked about prior to actually like officially starting the interview that I know are getting cut back in. So our apologies if something feels really um, short or weird. Um, but there was great stuff for the, you know, from the half hour we talked before we actually started recording. So that may be cut, <laughs> cut in a little bit. But hey, Josh, thanks for joining us for what really was kind of like almost an impromptu um, episode of Booked. We're, we're thrilled to have you on again. Yeah, me too, man. I, and impromptu is sort of like the word of the day right now. It's kind of like <laughs> we're all we're all floating in the black ocean or something <laughs> like in John Langan's black ocean from the fisherman. No, not, it's not quite that bad. But oh it's, my, we're not, you know, yeah, <laughs> yeah so, like, I'm not making terrible yeah. predictions. Yeah, but I could see <laughs> where, where yeah, that book recently, actually, and freaking we can talk about that later. Oh, yeah, that's a good book. But it, it seems the perfect time for a an impromptu sudden podcast. Hello. <laughs> yeah, we're going to be doing something with Max Booth um, for his next book here shortly. Have you read it? Touch the Night? No. Uh, not yet. Guys. Copies have not landed yet, but um, we had Chismar on in oh, really? December. Yeah, so we had him on for uh, Gwendy's Gwendy yeah, box. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, Max's, uh, Max's new book is, is, is it's top shelf shit, guys. Like Sadie, Mother Horror reviewed it, said this this could be novel of the year. I mean, there's wow. oh. some really, it's really good. And it's also, um, it's not only really um, well written and emotional, which it is, but it's also, he's like legitimately funny. <laughs> and that's not an easy thing. You would, I think, I remember one time hearing, I think it was Elvis Costello saying that it's actually harder to write like a great rock song than it is a ballad. And I totally know what he means. And mm. it, I think it's almost, you wouldn't think of it this way, but it, but like, I think it's harder to pull off legitimately funny on paper than it is scary. Mm. And Max does it. Like, he's just, I mean, every page. Like, you, you guys will see what I'm talking about right away. <laughs> and it's, an, it's a great one. Well, that's when, um, when we interviewed Chismar, um, we asked him like, you know, who is he excited about, uh, that's of stuff that's coming up. And he talked a lot about Max Booth to the point where he put him on a level with, he actually equivalented him at one point to Richard Lehman. Um, so he, he was speaking very highly of Max yeah. when we were talking. And Max is young too, you know, which is mm -hmm. like, which is an interesting thing. Matt, I don't know. I think he's like 26 or something. And he's, I mean, I didn't even finish my first full novel until I was 29. I think most of us are more along those lines, you know, um, and maybe don't really hit a stride even until five, six years after that. And so Max is like, he's already, 
He's already writing great shit. And, and <clears throat> you know, when you retouch the night, I, I'm going to listen to that episode for sure. Um, <laughs> I just, whatever. Write me a... Write me on Facebook or something and just be like, because I know you're going to write me and be like, dude, you were fucking right. Something, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I, I hate to say it, but I'm just excited. We're trying to set a world record for the number of Maxes that we can interview in one year. So we just did Max Berry. Um, we're going to have Max Booth, I'm assuming. Um, and then we're doing Max Brooks um, for his new book as well. So I also I think, read his. Yeah. Devolution. I, Yes, I did. And I'm glad that you said the title because I, at the whole time, I was like, is it devolution or devolution? Is it devolution or de- is devolution? I'm sure it's okay. either. I don't okay. know. That's no, 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 just you're right. I'm sure, I'm sure you're right. I just, <laughs> it was bothering me. Um, the, that one's fucking great, too. And I was supposed to meet him in Seattle um, at this uh, Emerald City Comic Con, but then the coronavirus happened. Mm. So, like, we were supposed to meet March 15th. We were both supposed to go to Seattle, and we were on, like, panels together and we both are through del rey and i was like um first of all i didn't know when i was reading his book i didn't know that he was mel brooks son i didn't know that max brooks um the world war z was mel brooks son i just didn't know and so i'm reading his book to blurb it and then i googled him because i was like oh this is fucking great i'm gonna look this guy up you know and then i was like wait what this is i i didn't know he was like about my age (laughs) <laughs> Mel Brooks son. I didn't. I just didn't know any of. Or, yeah, oh, I didn't know any of that stuff. Yeah, that's the funny thing about that is, um, he had that video that he put out recently with his dad, yeah. where they did the talking about social distancing and stuff. And so there was a wave of people being like, "I can't believe that that's his dad," which triggered in me the response of, "I can't believe nobody knew that that was his no, dad." You know, no, that's interesting, right? But I think for some reason. Maybe it was Game Game of Thrones was big at the time. For some reason, I always just unnaturally assumed that World War Z was written by like this older bearded glasses guy. <laughs> I just always, every time I saw World War Z, I imagined like like a seventy year old like like I actually I, I kind of imagined like George R. R. Martin. Like I I just pictured him like <laughs> wrote, wrote World War Z, and then it finally when I was when I looked up Max Brooks, I was like, wait a minute, why did I always just assume this was some other guy? I I don't know. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I um, now that you guys say that, I feel really dumb because I I saw that video and I God damn it, I you didn't even didn't think realize. about that being Max Brooks. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, really? like so he's on my radar. It's funny because Rob said to use Mel Brooks' son a few months ago, and I was like, oh, all I knew him from like that I knew because I loved World <laughs> War Z. I was like, well, I know he used to write for SNL. Like that's like I thought it was like his kind of claim to fame before, you know, before World War Z. <laughs> So anyway, I didn't know yeah, right. See, I I read his thing, but I didn't. Um, and then there's something else too that he's like doing for like coronavirus. He was just like on like MSNBC or something, something crazy. I can't even wow. remember what it was, but yeah, that dude's. Uh, and also that book is freaking phenomenal. So both those books. Have you read uh, Devolution? <laughs> have yeah. you read Devolution yet? Yeah, we try to read. So even when we have them in our in our possession, like we we try to keep the reviews really fresh so like we've been sitting on this um on this grady hendrix book for like two months and, and we're reading it now because we're going to review it tomorrow so i still have like right that's smart right so that's... it sucks though because like when we got inspection i had it for months and i was yeah. like god i really want to read this but i'm like well look i'm not gonna have time to read it twice so i have to just sit and stare at it on a shelf until like the week before <laughs> so getting the advanced copies is awesome but yeah. it's also frustrating because I, then i have to sit and look at the book for however long no, before i actually so... read it so much smarter to do it that way. I totally understand because 
like you just you, there's so many little things that sort of like vanish little details yep. that you would obviously you could keep notes blah 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 but to have read it the day before and then speak to the author that yeah that's smart i would do that too and no i probably wouldn't have done that then i heard then i would have heard that that's what you do <laughs> and then i would have started doing that <laughs> dude and like right now it's just a torture because like i'm looking on my shelf we have wonderland by zoya stage we've got two stephen graham jones books we've got um mallory obviously there's just a pile of all this stuff that i know so i read wonderland that's also great i read did you read um uh the only good indians no I, actually i started oh, okay. it on accident because i was looking at okay. the arc has the original release date of april so i'm like 25 percent into it and i had to stop because it got kicked back the release date's not till july so i picked up the grady hendrix book instead but like that first 25 percent is man it's classic jones it's so good yep it really, yeah, it is. But both of those, Wonderland's also great. I, mean, I know you've been busy with a lot of. I mean, hell, the, you had the you did the Creep Show, and then obviously the Bird Box movie that you know. I know that you had some involvement in. Like, how have you been, man? Like outside of your work stuff. Uh, I mean, it feels like in a sense that it's it's been all of this, but then somehow you know, Allison and I. Okay, Allison and I bought. I bought the first house I ever bought in my life. Mm -hmm. Um, that's. Like that was a huge, amazing endeavor, as you can imagine. Um, first time I've ever owned a home, and so there was moving into there. But what I kind of, I've always looked at um, places I live in and cities I even live in, where um, if I get, if I'm writing there, if I'm writing books or songs there, then I say to myself, okay, this is a good place, or you're in the right place. <laughs> so when we moved here, when we bought the place, like. I immediately set out to write a book. It was almost like in the same way that some people immediately like sage the house, you know, <laughs> I was like, okay, I'm going to, I have to do this right away because I don't want like months to pass. And then all of a sudden I'm like, I'm not writing here. Is this place wrong? You know, something crazy. Right. <laughs> so I immediately wrote a novel when we moved in and I, I freaking love that book. And then shortly after that, thinking that I was, I don't know, like, think I had written a version of Mallory um, that I thought, you know, I thought it was it. We were on the fourth rewrite. I had even received um, the liner notes, like the red line notes. Like, we were at that stage, you know? Um, we weren't just at macro, what do you think about this or that? We were at the, like, deep, the fine, fine comb fucking stage. <laughs> and I was looking through it, and I wrote my editor, Trisha, Adele Ray, and I was like, Trisha, listen, I, I think I have a better idea. For Mallory, and she's like, "What?" And I was like, "Yeah." And, and then I, she's like, "Yeah, go for it." And so I wrote, I scrapped that entire novel and wrote a whole new one from scratch. Ooh. And that is the Mallory that is out, and it's a hundred times better than the one that I, I don't know what I was. I think I was, I think I was maybe not nervous with the other one, but holding back a little bit, if that makes sense. And I think I was being like too gentlemanly or something with the last one. I don't know how explain. <laughs> like you know, sometimes like around around certain people you're funnier because they think you're funny or you're more of a gentleman because they think you're or whatever like you almost yeah. bounce that happens sometimes with books too where for some reason that first draft of mallory was like i wasn't myself around her but then i then the second draft i was like entirely myself so anyway that was the second book i wrote in this house so all of a sudden that was in the first <laughs> few months of living here and then now as you know i am writing a third one live um, and posting it online as I write it. So the house tur is, tur turns out that it's a good place to be. 
All right, you mentioned that you're now um, basically live posting chapters of uh, of a book, and that's obviously Carpenter's Farm. Uh, so how did that come about? Or is that something you just came up with on the moment? Or what was kind of the, you know, the evolution of that? All right, so th- this is a really exciting moment for me, and it's also a little nerve-wracking. But it's, ex- it's, it's exciting because I've had the idea for Carpenter's Farm for years. The I've had it for so long, and... Um, and without knowing how to write it, that when I, when Bird Box came out in 2014 and I was approached with, um, by Doug Morano, um, and D. Alexander Ward to publish a short story in their collection Shadows Over Main Street, right? Um, they asked if I had a short story and I had, I never published a short story before. I didn't even have any on me to be published at the time. And I was like, hey, this is an opportunity um, to what's the right word to write maybe an overture or an, or an introduction to Carpenter's Farm, right? Because I've been wanting to write this book forever, blah, blah, blah. And I didn't have it yet. So I was like, but I could write a 2300 word version or something, right? So I did. I wrote a short story called A Fiddlehead Party on Carpenter's Farm. And I gave it to Doug Morano and D. Alexander Ward. And they published it. It's my first published short story. This is six years ago. A few years ago, I tried my hand at the novel. I think I got it. I made it 40,000 words deep and just stopped. I was like, that's it. This isn't it, man. Shit. You know, I'm like, I still don't have it. You know, that kind of thing. And and I kept seeing it from this, um, what do you call it? I don't want to say like needful things, but like like the whole town is affected by this farm or something, right? Mm -hmm. I kept seeing it as like the farm becomes like the hub of this this town and what Oliver Carpenter is growing out there, or what he discovers to be growing out there, that kind of thing. So, so I made it forty thousand. I'm like, yeah, whatever this is, this isn't you. Just yeah, just stop. And that book has haunted me. The unfinished one has haunted me for a few years now. It's the only one that I haven't finished of mine. Okay, so that's whatever. I don't. That, it bothers me. So recently, I had. Um, I don't know why, but I, I had a, a, a new angle on the idea. Same, everything's the core idea is the same, but how we get to it all changed. And I was like, oh, instead of the whole freaking town, what if, what if seven, you know, a group of friends, thespians, actors, or one, one of them had to move to Michigan, he inherits the farm, he's, he's there, he inherits the farm from that short story, the guy owned it in that short story. Oliver inherits it. He needs to get the hell out of New York. He goes. His seven friends are worried about him, not because he sounds like he's doing bad, but he sounds like he's doing maybe too good. And this becomes its own sort of, what does that even mean amongst friends? Right? Mm-hmm. What do you mean he's doing too good? What are you, you're worried about that, right? <laughs> but yes, I am worried about that. What does this mean? And that started to be, that was like, oh, this is it. This is the angle. I got it now. Okay, I can write this book in three weeks or how I mean, however many days I have open. This strikes me right before the virus comes and, and what has changed everything for a while. Um, and when the virus comes, I'm all prepared to write Carpenter's Farm at home because this was the plan. And my webmaster, Todd Jackson, wrote me saying, hey, do you have a new free short story to replace the one that's been on your website for like three years? And I was like, oh, cool. the great idea, Todd. Let me check what I have. And I was like, no, nah, I don't really have anything. And then I was like, well, I can just write you a new, let's, I'll just write one to put on there. And then I was like, I don't, <laughs> don't want to write a short, so I want to write Carpenter's Farm right now. And then I was like, well, no, no, nah, <laughs> yeah, 
ah, and then this goes on for like, you know, a couple of days of what? No. Yes. And I write Todd, I'm like, hey, what, what if we just serialize this novel for free on the site? Can we do that? And he's like, oh, uh, yeah, we can do that. So I had to write, I had to get Del Rey's permission to make sure because Mallory, as you know, is coming out in July and I didn't want any sort of novel release to take any attention away or anything like that. I would only want it to like add to it. Um, I talked to my manager, my agent, uh, Allison. Does everyone think this is a good idea? Is this insane? Does it matter either way? Am I overthinking <laughs> this? Should we just do this? You know, I finally am going to write this book that's haunting me for freaking years, you know, and everyone, every single person across the board is like, yeah, do it. What the hell are you talking about? I'm like, all right. So set it up with Todd. And then here I am. So here's, here are the quote unquote rules. The book is not done. Um, not even close. Um, and the idea is I'm writing it live, quote unquote live, which means I write a chapter, I give it a once over, and then Todd posts it. So I'm a couple wow. chapters ahead, you know, not not by much, but a couple chapters ahead, and I try to remain a couple chapters ahead. But there is the high wire danger act of um, um, writing myself into a corner or or writing a whole 10,000 words where you're like, ah, shit, I got a better idea now. I, I mean, all those things could happen. <laughs> and I suppose I could just go and erase what's there and let everyone know that, you know, and start back there. But I don't, I think the the name of the game here is I'm strapped in, it's begun, and I have to, like, we're 30,000 feet, and eventually I'll have to land this plane. I think that's the game. It's almost like, it's almost like I've found out a way to force myself to write the book the one that was unfinished and haunting me for a long time now. Wow. Yeah. I want to commend you. Um, so I, I realized that the plan was to write this book, but at this time we're seeing a lot of people do a lot of free and extra content. And I mean, there are view alongs for, for all of your favorite TV shows and everybody's participating. And then some feel very genuine. And, and that's what I like about yours. It feels some I've seen and I thought, all right, this is somebody looking for, for attention. Yours feels very genuine. And, and I really like that. So I want to commend you on that. And I don't want to stop talking about Carpenter's Farm. But in this last couple of things that you said, it occurred to me that you scrapped a full first Mallory. Mm-hmm. And then you scrapped 40,000 words on, you know, we'll call the original Carpenter's Farm book um, at some point. What is that like? Because I imagine this may have happened to you with music as well. You know, it's, it's your baby. Like, you created it. What, what is, like, the grief you know, process for, for, well, for scrapping it, a full book or, or you know, a good path? So it's okay. It kind of comes down to, like, it is like music because it's like, did you get the spirit on the take or not? Like, is the, the, did you get the – and sometimes – with songs, they can sneak, one can kind of sneak by you because maybe you felt different that day and or you're like, oh, it's fine. The drums are on beat. Who cares? You know, that kind of thing. And then it gets by you. But with a book, you're like, does, does, is the spirit in this thing or not? And if it's not and you realize that later, well, shit, right? I would you then you have a choice. Do we want to sort of art or do we want to artificially inseminate this book with spirit or do we want to just start over? And so. <laughs> Because if you ask me, I think it's harder to, like, work in um, uh, uh, excitement, to thread in a thrill, rather than it just it's naturally coming from an unsettling uh, platform to begin with. And so for me, it's less daunting to say, you know what, scrap it, let's start it again. I'll, I'll do 3,000 words a day, I'll have a more spirited draft in, you know, three weeks, whatever. 
rather than sitting here and tediously trying to force it upon this sort of corpse of a draft, right? So, and the first book I ever did that with was Bird Box. I, um, after Harper Collins had bought Bird Box, um, they gave me enough notes. Essentially, what it was was the rough draft was there were fourteen housemates, and they convinced me that the story would be better if there was only around seven or so, and. So then I was like, okay, so I could either go into this chapter, you know, and change the names and just get rid of, you know, double up on the names and get rid of like Alan and whoever else was there, right? Um, or I should rewrite this scene from, you know, Tom and Felix's point of view. And then I was like, shoot, well, I should probably do that, you know, because because they're, I want to stay in step with their character, right? So with Bird Box, Bird Box was already picked up all these notes, and then I rewrote that book chapter by chapter from scratch, all except for the birth scene. So so I had done it there, and I it was the first time I ever did it, and I saw it worked, and the second round was so much better than the first. They were right, less housemates made for more of a spotlight on each, all that stuff. Um, so I, like, I saw it work there. And so, weirdly enough, years later, the next time I do that was with Mallory. Um, which I didn't, there was no intended uniformity, obviously. What kind of lunatic would be like, I'm going to scrap this one too. Yes. You know, um, <laughs> <laughs> like I, I imagine a guy in shine, like shooting his book, you know, <laughs> um, but no, but it did happen with Mallory. So those two gave me some more confidence with Carpenter's farm. Cause it's like, okay, you got to 40 and you kind of fantasizing about, you always fantasize about going back and finishing it. Why don't you start this one over, man? And that's what led to, and why don't you tell it from this angle? And, and that's where we are now. Makes sense. It, it, when you explain it, it makes sense. It does, like Livius was saying, though, it sound like it would be a painful process. <laughs> well, okay, before doing all this, I had heard that, um, like, years ago, when I was, like, 22 or something, I, I had heard that Ken Kesey wrote Cuckoo's Nest, and then realized this would be this would be a better story told from the chief's perspective or whatever, right? Mm. And then wrote it all over it, the whole thing, started from scratch. And I remember reading that bit of information when I was, like, yeah, early twenties, and just thinking, what the what? <laughs> this guy wrote a book twice. You know, I couldn't like I couldn't. And back then, it was like the idea of writing one book. It honestly sounded like climbing a mountain or something. And like this guy, no way. But now I totally get it. I just totally get it because that first go round can become um, like the world's greatest outline or like what you guys were just saying, how you want to read the book just prior to the podcast. So it's all so fresh uh, with you. Now imagine, well, it's kind of weird to imagine this, but now imagine that you read Devolution and then instead of doing the podcast, you start writing it that day. That's kind of what it's like. And you have everything, the mood, the the scenes, the characters, who they are, everything's super fresh in your head, but now you're going to write the story. And so if you kind of look at it like that was all training for this for this writing of this book, that first go round, and then, then it's sort of like a positive like like switch on that. It's a great perspective, and obviously it works. Um, now, all right, so the other thing about Carpenter's Farm um, that's that I – so – Livius will back me up on this. I'm the type of person that when I'm creating something, um, I have a very strong idea of what I want that to be. And so I, I, I shy away from 
um, other voices a little bit. And so the, the unique thing I think that's going on with Carpenter's Farm, aside from the fact that it's being serially released for free on your website, is the fact that you're encouraging people to collaborate and kind of add to the, I don't know what you want to say, universe of Carpenter's Farm. Um, and, and so there's all of these people online supporting you with other types of stuff like music, short stories, poetry, uh, art and stuff like that. So what was uh, what was your what was your thought on doing that? Man, so okay, so I, I the, the the real Shane um, Douglas Keene is the one who opened that door because he wrote me on Twitter that he had heard what I was about to do or I had tweeted about it and he asked if he could write a poem along with each chapter and I was like, whoa, that uh, yeah, that sounds fucking great. Where's this idea coming from, right? But it, then it kind of struck me also like the idea for releasing a serialized novel on a website, writing it, quote unquote, live is odd in and of itself. And so Shane's suggestion totally kind of made sense, right? So I was like, yeah, let, of course, let's do this. Well, then that opened, that opened the doors. And I was like, well, okay, wait, who else can like maybe I can get someone to work with like music here and that kind of thing. And then all I did was post um, something like, Hey, anybody play along really. And then I got a message from a fella in Atlanta named Chris Campbell. Um, that was like, Hey, I, you know, I read uh, the first few chapters and I came up with this and he sent me this thing. And, you know, honest to God, guys, I had no idea what to expect. And you know where the story is going that I loved it, but mm -hmm. I had no idea what to expect. I was like, just, you know, this could be freaking, it could be this guy banging on a lead pipe, crying, who knows, right? Which that'd be kind of awesome, actually. <laughs> but then, <laughs> but it's just like so good. It's just like epic, like ominous thing with these. So you got the ominous, like tones of a horror story building, but then it has this, the earthy farm acoustic guitar also. And there's almost like just a freaking dollop of like a Western to it. And, and the whole thing about it, I was like, oh my God, this is freaking perfect. And I wrote the guy and went crazy, as you can imagine. And we um, we ended up having a Skype session. And now he is up to um, 28 minutes, I think. And it's all in a playlist. Like, it's all linked on the on the website, right at the Carpenter's Farm page. Um, I think he's at, like, 28 minutes. And we are 100% now, him and I, looking at this, like he's doing, like, a soundtrack for the book. And... Um, Jim Byrne wrote a song that we are going to put on the soundtrack. So, and I'm definitely absolutely going to run vinyl of this when this is done, whether that's, I find a label nice. to do it, which that might be a wow. crazy thing to convince someone of. Can you make a, will you print the soundtrack for this serialized free novel? <laughs> with the right? um, or I'm just going to run it myself. But, but just to think Shane writes me, can I add poems? Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. And then I, because of Shane, I write, hey, anyone play along? And this guy sends me holy shit stuff. Have you heard what he's done yet? So I was telling Rob right before we got on with you that I listened to some of it today. And uh, the quality was so good that I actually said to Rob that I, this is probably going into my um, my background music re yeah. reading stuff. Like, you know, when I read a lot of times, I'll put on just instrument. I can't listen to music that's got like vocals in it when I'm reading. Yeah. So I mind listening to, you know, whatever, chill house music and classical and stuff, depending on my mood. But I was probably about four minutes into listening where I was like, oh, this is going into the rotation for sure. Yep. And then I on Skype, I showed him um, 
my horror uh, soundtrack collection. I was like, dude, you, I really want you to understand how much how much I love this shit. And his like what he's doing is like it's as good as anything that I that I've got here. And I and it totally came. So then I you know that um the writer Ted Grau. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I didn't know this, but at some point, um, Chris said to me, so Ted wrote me that he, you know, he, Ted had seen that post and wrote Chris saying, hey, you might want to look into this. You do soundtracking stuff. This guy is saying he's writing a book and if you want to add music. So Ted actually linked the two of us up. Oh, that's amazing. That's awesome. I know. I know. And then um, Michael Bailey wrote a short story for it and he's working on another one now. Um, Jimmy Doom, who is an amazing um, uh, Detroit musician, personality, and an actor, by the way. I think that may, might be partially why he's drawn to this. He's an actor. Um, Jimmy Doom is writing a short story for it. There's been artwork. Yeah. It's, <laughs> I, I kind of just, I hope that uh, Steve Green wrote a song. I hope that it's, um, what's it called? I hope that this is just the beginning of that. I would love if there was just a freaking flood of drawings and, and songs and everything. And then, and then who knows? Maybe there could be some sort of volume down the road of um, Carpenter's Farm, all of Shane's poems, the short stories that were inspired. Who knows? Why not? Why not have like some, you know, four hundred page, five hundred page thing with all the drawings and and everything together? So that that answers one of my questions, which I was going to wait until kind of towards the end to ask about, <laughs> about collecting all this stuff together. That's kind of what I meant about it. It feels genuine. So without anybody misinterpreting what I'm saying. Um, you know, your timing on this couldn't couldn't have been better, right? You've got a lot of people that are sitting at home, not a lot to do. And, and I think that something like this could put someone on the path to creating something um, directional, right? So they see your posts and they go, hey, I've got a lot of time on my hands because I can't go anywhere. So maybe I'll, I'll see if I can contribute a poem or a song or, or whatever. And and hopefully that 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 genuine feeling comes from the fact that something good could come out of all of this and not necessarily just this, but the ability that people have to connect and create together um, may have increased significantly it, like what, how likely were these people to do this when they were working 55 hours a week, just trying to squeeze in their own work versus yeah. now having this extra time and, and being able to collaborate and create something that, that so far from what I've seen is, is wonderful. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I you know, when I was talking to the, webmaster at first about let's do it for free i would it obviously struck me that everyone's at home and, and everyone's locked down and i'm locked down and then like i've seen a few people post like you know things like um hey you know it's okay to do nothing with this um you don't have to write you know king lear like shakespeare did or whatever you can do nothing and then i also see people writing like it's okay to be freaked out you don't have to be positive but and i agree of course with all that stuff but i also say it's okay to be completely freaked out and try to write king lear <laughs> <laughs> i th i think i think that it's possible to do both i think it's i think it's okay to let this fucking super weird time like to feel it to feel weird to be confused and moody and, and totally anxious and unsettled and also, you know, try to do something within that realm. As you said, we're all in the same boat. So in that boat, why not? And here we go. And then, and like you said, I don't know if Chris, I don't, you know, I don't know Chris well enough to know what he normally does. Um, but, but I do, I can safely say that him and I would not be working on the book and music without this moment in time. So mm -hmm. that is, that is a small positive in a, in a very strange era. 
Well, I think one thing that you may have unintentionally done with this project is, um, as you guys were talking, I was thinking to myself, man, there's probably people out there who, um, with the time that they have, maybe they don't know how to start their own project or do a full project, but collaborating on a project is like the perfect way to get them like the juices flowing and get them going. And so you kind of gave people an opportunity who aren't ready to go right to King Lear to like contribute to it. And I think that's probably like pretty amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And then, I mean, you know, I can say this kind of thing and then this is going to sound like you're running for office, but like, honest to God, if you're going to, if I was going to write the book either way, right. And then doing it this way, I don't know. Oh, this is another thing to throw in is I love that there's no, um, on the site, there's no likes, views, comments, yes. reviews. I, it's just not a very, unless you're reading, I guess, an advanced reader's copy or something, it's just not very common in this era to experience a work of art with, without any of that sort of aggregate opinion thing going on. And that's which I'm, I'm fine with all that, but it's, it's, it's a different experience. Like I literally don't like you're when you look at Carpenter's farm, you have no idea how many people, how many people read it. It could be 40,000. It could be four. I don't know how many have read it. And I, I've asked Todd, the webmaster, like not to tell me, like, I don't even mm. want to, you know, I want to give Todd, I want to give Todd some props because I thought, oh, I'm going to have to read this on a web page. Um, so, you know, I, I pulled out the iPad, right? And I was like, this is super clean. There's a next chapter button at the bottom and something super subtle that I really liked. The background color changes by chapter. I like that, too. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So I, I just yeah. want to say, like, we're talking about all this great collaboration and stuff. And I know you've mentioned Todd a couple of times, but let's let's take a moment. Give Todd some props for putting something together that's that's really crisp, clean and, and pretty. Yeah. The typography is great. Like, yep. it's it's very well presented. Yeah, I can. I almost can't imagine the book without the different color backgrounds now. Like, I wonder if it's ever printed, if it's possible to have. <laughs> retain those or some in some <laughs> weird way or something but yeah that's all him he yeah. of course i was like can we put this on the site and he was like uh yeah what do you think about this with the backgrounds and he um and even how chapters one and two are like extremely short and he figured out a way to present them as if they were like you know their own little entities and i was like oh yeah this is good Right. Okay. I get it. I get what you're doing. And, and as you said, the, the next page is a chapter. I would never have thought of that in a million years, you know, all that stuff. Yeah. He's great, man. I have a structural um, question about the story and, and I don't want you to spoil anything if you have plans, but I found it interesting that our narrator is a, um, a an omniscient narrator. That's not part of the story. So to set it up, it's being told to us by an eighth friend, right. Who mm-hmm. is not at the farm. Mm-hmm. So again, I don't want you to to reveal anything that comes up in the book, but that that was an interesting um, decision, I thought. So I don't know how much you can talk about that without giving anything away. I can't. No, it's perfect. <laughs> no, that's no, that's that's totally cool. I just no, I thought no, this no, is no. kind of a weird setup. So I, yeah. I'm hoping it goes somewhere. But yeah, yeah, I just um, yeah, no, I, I don't think I, I don't think I am going to say much about him yet. Actually, you're, you, I, mean, I think you gave me an out by by saying that. I didn't have to, and now I'm going to actually take it. Because for, for me, it was like I, I knew I didn't I definitely did not want to have um, a whole book written in um, present tense, like as, like, let's say, Tracy is experiencing it or something. That, was, that would have been too cheesy. Oliver is looking at me. I'm looking at him, you know? It would have felt too, too strange or something. But then I also didn't want someone fully removed from it. I needed someone that knew them really well. But that, that's all I'll say about it right now is I needed someone that 
I definitely needed someone that knows them really well to tell this story. All right. So I know it's not complete, but do you envision, do you have like a, like a, a, do you, how do I say this? Do you have like roughly a chapter count? So we're currently on chapter nine. Do you know if it's going to be 35, 40, 50, 200 chapters? I think it's going to be around 32, 33, right around there. Early 30s. I think so. Because I like, um, so I'm kind of eyeing it with like a few like more, this is an odd thing to say out loud, but with a few more like sort of centerpiece scenes, um, a dinner scene so far that was posted would be one. And there's two, two or three other sort of centerpiece scenes that would be, um, I don't even, even close to like 10,000 words on their own, that kind of thing. Um, but so that I can sort of gauge, okay, you wrote nine and you, how, how deep do you think you are? Well, I think I'm probably about a, not a, not a third, but we're getting there, like a fourth, something like that. So somewhere between 30 and 40 begins to sound right. It, it, it doesn't always stay so uniformly like that. But if you, you know, you guys know from every book you read, chapters tend to, you know, stay about the same. It's not like all of a sudden there's a hundred page chapter, but that kind of sounds fun right now. Um, but <laughs> so I'm guessing between 30 and 40, something like that. Yeah. And I do know how it ends. And I do have, um, scenes on the way a couple like landmark scenes on the way but not much more than that right now <laughs> so there's a bit of a seat of your pants to say the freaking least yeah um the thing i love about it is like you saying that this whole idea kind of germinated from um just the fact that you needed to refresh the website a little bit so uh but it sounds like it's it's a project that was kind of far beyond what you expected it could be. So I'm happy that it, it, it's ending up being such a, like a positive experience for you. Yeah, well it is, I'm getting over a ghost of my own by doing it. Um, and then also, and this is what I was going to say before and I, got, I sidetracked myself and I don't mean to be sound like, so, um, whatever, like noble or saying the right thing. But honestly, if one person that is on lockdown gets something out of this book, then, oh my God, holy, then like, Holy mm-hmm. shit, that's that's absolutely mind blowing. And maybe that one person is Chris Campbell, who's doing the music, you know, mm-hmm. you know, or or maybe it's a, a, you know, a reader that I don't know, I don't know, just like needed something new and a different way to read, and they're at home and it's different for them and exciting. Then oh my god, success, you know. To me, again, because a few people ask me like, how could you give a book away for free? But it's like oh my, I don't, I don't know. Mallory's coming out in just <laughs> I was gonna write this right now anyway. There's people, they're locked down, I'm locked down, like. I guess this is how I connect with people, man. And if I want to, you know, if someone gets something out of it, holy cow, cherry on top. Look, without um, without blowing smoke up your ass or, or whatever. So I was um, I wanted to watch a YouTube video and I'm, I'm going to get all of this wrong. But uh, the whatever the Internet archives like did some they changed the way that people could like borrow books recently. And there was some outrage by some authors and stuff. And, you know, I kind of looked at this and, and some of the names involved, I'm like, these people are, are, are living off royalties of the stuff they've done already, probably for the rest of their lives, you know, and, and they're, they're mad that during lockdown, like more people can borrow their ebook. Right. So that's, I kind of set my position there, I guess, unintentionally on how I feel about it. On the flip side, I'm looking at a guy like you and thinking, here's a guy who's writing a book, and he's doing a couple of things. He's making it free. He's giving some, people something to look forward to three days a week. But my other thought was, so I, I don't write. Um, but I thought like, all right, here's a guy. And he's putting out these these little chapters <clears throat> three times a week. And as I read them, I go, 
There's not a whole lot. You, don't get me wrong. I'm saying this. There's not a whole lot to, to what he did. I was like, you know, somebody else who maybe has the intention of writing can say, well, if this guy can just write yep. a chapter every four or five days, yep. even like yep. maybe I could do that. And maybe right. in 39 weeks, I can have a book because you mentioned right. it earlier when you said someone threw out a book, like the thought of writing a book is very, very daunting to somebody who doesn't write. Right. And maybe they have the idea. They have the story in their head. Yeah. But this could be a path for somebody else. You're saying someone get out of it. I wouldn't be surprised if someone writes their first novel from seeing you do this little bit by little bit over it, the course of it, what's going to wind up being 10 or 15 weeks. Yep. It's exactly fucking exactly what I'm talking about. Like, like, it, how do you, because you could say that kind of thing to someone. Well, if you just do a little bit, it adds up, right? You know, but to actually see that, like you say, like if you read just chapter three on its own and you have to wait for chapter four, right? You read chapter three on its own and you're like, oh, I, I could, I could write chapter three. Okay, and then like two days later, you read chapter four. I, I could do that. You know how they say that um, everyone that listened to the Velvet Underground when they came out, they went out and started their own band, you know? Like, I could do this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the, I, I know exactly what you mean. And it's the kind of thing where you, I could say that over and over and over again. Uh, believe me, you just do a little bit at a time and it builds up into a novel, blah, blah, blah. And then, but no one ever, you know, I don't, I don't know how, how to get that to settle in or to take root in a stranger's mind other than than this but that that's just like a wonderful byproduct and if that happens man if that happens and anyone listening is the person that isn't that you know sees that what we're talking about right now and writes their own book please let me know that you did that because that that would be amazing i totally agree that's that's an exciting way to look at it it's like How weird. Because it's like doing a book live, you're you're accidentally or, or like doing um uh almost like a presentation of process. Yeah. Without setting out to do that. The, you're just setting out to write a book or to entertain people that are locked down or to brighten up someone's day or to get the ghost off your back. The last thing you're thinking of is like, how can I present this process? Right? But that's what that's what you're doing. That's what I'm doing. That's interesting. And I, I really love that. I think, um, inc- like, I'd like to encourage people. Uh, the example I can think of is I have a friend who uh, did the last uh, NaNoWriMo, and he was he was closing in on like the the deadline, but also really close to the finish line with with writing it. And he was like, I, I feel like I'm just writing garbage. And so I told him, write the garbage. You know, you, the goal is to finish the book, not have a manuscript to hand over to a publisher like just keep writing and so i feel like um that's the big part of it is just like you're doing something to encourage creativity where where people might not know they need that push to yeah i and i say the same thing to you and i may actually just use that phrase write the garbage because it, you know i run into that all the time where i when i talk to like i have friends who have brilliant ideas for books and they're like you know, um, you know, it's it's not going well or whatever. It, it's like the first draft's not supposed to go well, man. That's the whole point. The first draft is supposed to like, you're supposed to think that you're terrible for for like at least half of the experience. <laughs> be like, I'm I'm so bad, yeah. and the other half is supposed to be pretty damn fun. And then the rewrite is is a different version of that where you're like, this is terrible, but I can fix it. <laughs> and then you watch yeah. it slowly get better, and you're like, oh, my God, this is unbelievable. It really is incredible once you learn that. It's almost becomes sort of like a wizard secret or something. The secret to writing a novel is to freaking write it. 
and then yeah. <laughs> and then without worrying if it's good or bad and then knowing that you can you can fix it build it dress it up do whatever the hell you want to it the next go round and then that's once that philosophy completely takes root then i mean you could write anything at any time yeah. and that's and i absolutely have that philosophy and so i think that that makes it me a likely candidate to say okay then i can write a book live because I'm, I don't, I care if it's good or bad, but <laughs> I am also, I sort of implicitly trust that the readers or anyone involved in this trip understands that it's live. So if there's a chapter that comes up, that's like a total fucking lemon. I think that, I don't know. I, I think that, I don't know. I think that it, people understand that this is happening live. Yeah. But you, at least you don't let yourself get stopped by the, like, um, like self-consciousness of it because you know better. You've gone through it, and you know that right. at the end, what it is is going to be what it is, or whatever. Right. There's nothing worse <laughs> than the shame of not writing it, and that's and that's um, for me at least. And that's exactly what I'm saying about the ghost of Carpenter's Farm is is that it was haunting me for years. Where I'm like, why haven't I finished that one? I've written like 13 novels since then. Why <laughs> haven't I finished that one? And it was like, you know, I would be at a a bar or a party then talking about ideas and this and that and then all of a sudden that one would just like pop in my head and I'm ruined like ruin me for a second you know it's like oh why didn't I do that one <laughs> <laughs> all right moving off of Carpenter's Farm a little bit it's been a while since we've talked and um, you have actually uh, moved into screenplays as well so I know Rob and I both watched um, The House of the Head on Creep Show um, which was excellent by the way Tell us a little bit about the difference between like screenplay writing and novel writing. And there has to be, I have to imagine there's some pretty significant differences. Oh man. Well, okay. So the creep show one was amazing because I worked with Greg Nicotero and I worked with Brian Witten, um, who's a producer and, and a producer on something else that I also wrote the screenplay for. I wrote the screenplay for um, a house at the bottom of a lake. And that is with Netflix right now. And we're going through many different <laughs> different things with that right now. Hold um, on a second. I'm going to interrupt to give Rob an opportunity to, to, to say something on that. Holy shit. Fuck yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, um, so that's all happening. And But then I have to tell you, in, and Ryan, my manager, keeps telling me, like, no, dude, you're doing it. Like, we're doing it. But I'm like, God, I just – I. It's, I must be doing something okay or, or similar to write with the screenplays because they're here they are they're ending up in places whatever but it does not have the same like gunslinger like let's fucking roll that the novel has it just doesn't man there's it's got to be 22 pages for the episode or it has to be between 90 and 120 and and you know you think in terms of arcs and acts and you think in terms of every word's got what what do you mean every word's got to count <laughs> <laughs> And for me, I love, like, I feel like if I was, like, in the NFL, I'd be one of those guys that, like, tries to bomb the ball all the time. Just, like, chuck it. And, <laughs> and you can't really do that with a screenplay, but you can with a novel. <laughs> and, and so I'm doing it. I'm learning. Uh, Creepshow was a little more manageable in that it was shorter. Um, and also Greg Nicotero was awesome, too work with uh his ideas were awesome it was just he's kind of like um he's kind of like just what we're doing right now just like a guy that's excited about the genre talking you know about stuff um and and how spot i'm like was a little bit like holy shit this is this is hard 
but I got through it and now I do. Oh, I wrote another one also um, called Only Children, but I don't know where that's going to end up yet. And then, but I just put it this way. I'm loving doing it. I'm, or, or I'm doing it. I'm working my ass off on it. There's good things are happening, but the novel is home. I mean, to be honest, I want you to keep writing novels. I want you to be super successful, and I'm excited about a house at the bottom of the lake and stuff. But God damn it, I'd hate to think that you'd ever hang up your your you know long form story writing for for television. Oh man, oh yeah. god, yeah, that's shutter! Like, <laughs> I just imagined myself in like a bar in L.A. when you just said that, like alone, like mm-hmm. like maybe even the bartender's not there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> Yeah. All right. the the elephant in the room um how did netflix bird box kind of change your life oh my god guys we we were so um to say that we were unprepared for mal or for uh bird box i, I don't even know i i can actually give you an example but i feel weird doing this um but i'll just do it because why not? Um, I'll just give you numbers, okay? If this sounds, if it sounds weird and greasy to give some numbers, then I don't know, erase this. If it doesn't, then use it. Um, and that line too. Um, <laughs> but pre- previous to the movie coming out, prior to the movie coming out, Bird Box was selling about like 100 copies a week for like four years or something like that. Um, or more than that, five years, whatever. But like a hundred a week for five years. So meaning like the same as when it first came out to all the way up to like when that movie came out. And it was this odd thing, this sort of like this strange, just steady Eddie book where my agent Kristen would say like, yeah, it's still just we're years now. And it's still right around the same exact. And, you know, I'd be like, Oh, it's great. Great. Okay. Great. Great. You know? Um, so there was something interesting about bird boxes in that it was not just, not just like word of mouth or spreading, but just this steady thing for like years. Okay. So when the week that the preview came out for the movie, the, uh, we sold like 300 copies in one week and we were like, Holy fuck. Like, this is like, you know, this is unbelievable, man. You know, we were like kind of all out of our minds, you know, this is like our best week ever in the six years now or five, whatever. (laughs) And we had a talk with the publisher and stuff. And they were like, Hey, listen, um, just so you know, this may be as good as it gets. It might. The, the preview came out this week. You know, Sandra Bullock's in the preview, and who knows? But what an exciting fucking week. Congratulations, you know. And we were like, oh, my God, this is amazing. Allison and I <clears throat> hosted a uh, screening of the movie at, like, what used to be an old Ford showroom around here. Um, invited, like, 50 friends. There's this concrete stage with a movie screen, these little, like, theater seats sort of. Um, awesome night everyone gets wasted we eat we see the movie and we're like that's it that's the peak you know that's the freaking peak of the experience in the first week that that movie was out bird box the book sold twenty thousand copies holy shit so to give you a to give you a perspective on how unprepared we were we were like 300 is unfucking believable and i still feel like, <laughs> like i still we're still like that would be unbelievable but for a moment in time that idea was just shattered or something and it was like this whole other reality was like placed upon us or something and we all i think we all felt like we were sort of just standing at like the head of a wind tunnel you know um and then all of a sudden 
the memes and these challenges oh, yeah. and and around town I, I went to a starbucks and you know the, the people that work there like you wrote bird box i saw you in the train news and and all of a sudden you know i see people with tattoos of sandra bullock with with um uh blindfold and all these like things and i'm like holy shit bird box but it was so far out from from like what i was used to because remember i i've been with mallory for a minute now and it was so far out from what i'm used to experiencing that i almost saw this all as like something incredible that was happening to her and not me and maybe that's a defense mechanism maybe that's so that i can identity defense mechanism where i could be like i'm still me and this is all <laughs> happening to you right <laughs> um but that's how it felt it felt like this is it was like um congratulations mallory your story you're you're, you're fucking killing it i'm gonna go write another book and so there was so there was definitely like a seismic shift in things and like even today i saw a friend sent me a photo of like a, a famous model that has a tattoo of sandra bullock with a blindfold you know and and the only thing i want to throw in there is like man i wish somebody would make a halloween mask of that you know like a rubber mask <laughs> sandra bullock with the blindfold like come on that's like every horror author's like dream is to is to write a book where the main character becomes a halloween costume you know <laughs> i don't think i've ever heard anyone say that before <laughs> that's great <laughs> so again if that was eh, if that sounded like a little weird it's give the numbers i guess i don't really care because that it i don't know i can't imagine a better or clearer way to express how how shocking all that was to all of us well, I want you to know that it has it had changed my life too because when people were talking about it at work, I just casually say, "You know, my friend wrote that book." So, <laughs> definitely helped me out too. <laughs> that's on that's now on Rob's Tinder profile, by the way. <laughs> so, so you've changed Rob's life in a very positive manner, I think. It's really helping out. Uh, I think that's really cool because what you said about it being Mallory's story, um always kind of touches to that thing that, that I think about. And that's why I said, like, it's your baby. You, you know what I mean? And that, that just, when we're talking about throwing away a book, you know, like scrapping a book, that yeah. kind of, that kind of plays into that. Like you have an affection for the people, the characters that you created. So just to hear you say that even in your mind, you thought that I don't, I don't, maybe it is a defense mechanism, but it kind of solidifies my thought is that when you've written a, a great story that you're attached to those people, that those people become a tangible thing and not just that story you wrote. Well, her, especially she's, yeah. oh, she's long been from the word go. I wrote the rough draft for bird box in 06. I've told you guys this before. I wrote the rough draft in 06. I rewrote it and. 2010 it was picked up in um 2012 uh the movie rights 2013 and in 2013 is when i scrapped it and essentially rewrote the whole thing from scratch so at that point like what did they actually buy you know does it when a tree falls in the woods like what book did they actually buy right the one you bought you scrapped and then you just gave them they put out this book anyway um i've been with her forever and she's always just been so wonderfully smooth easy for me to write and i don't know why i think that it has to do with like um that i would act i almost look at her like she's a like a not just a sister but like a twin sister of mine that like if i was in bird box i would react or act the same exact way she did which is mostly fly on the wall leaning towards the optimistic people but like still aware that like the optimist might be like you know about to do something terribly wrong and dangerous i think i 
you know, I would live by the blindfold rather than being trying. I would, I'm someone who would probably hide from that experience rather than try to like defeat it by invention or even just facing it, you know, insanely. Um, I think that how she acts in that world is exactly how I would act or something. And I think that's why it's easy for me to write her. Maybe, I, I don't know. But so then I had the, the rough draft for Bird Box was um, like twice as long as what came out. And there were other threads in there that I got rid of, blah, blah, blah. So before the movie came out, I would, you know, Kristen, my agent and other people, would you write a sequel? I'm like, ah, maybe one day I have like ideas for it, you know. And then um, the movie came out and Alice and I are watching it in um, the Netflix office. And the, the screening room is actually called The Upside Down, by the way. And we're watching it um, in there. And... And at the end of the movie, I mean, I'm emotional as fuck during this, right? And at the end of the movie, I turn to Alice and I'm like, wait, well, wait, now what happens to Mallory? And she's like, oh, come on. And I'm like, no, no, no. Like, seriously, don't you want to know? You know? And she's like, come on, dude. Well, that's up to you, I guess. I'm like, yeah. All right. And so I talked to Kristen and I talked to Del Rey and I was like, so I have this thread that I removed from Bird Box that I think could be like a good second one of her story. So. The weird thing is, is that that was essentially, that was the first version of Mallory that I again scrapped. So let's officially put that thread to sleep, right? Because now I now it's been removed twice from, from the experience. But it did, it was enough um, for me to say like, yeah, let's write another one. And, and with Mallory, the book, I knew right away when, when I was talking to Kristen and Delray, they were like, you know, what would you call it or whatever? I'm like, oh, it's a Mallory. For sure. Like this is this is this is her story. No matter what else is going on in this world, in this scenario, other characters, this is Mallory's story. Like, and I, I want that to be I, I just want to like say that. I want to like stamp that that this is Mallory's story. The whole thing, not just this newer book. If this is all her story. You know, if there was a hundred books, this is Mallory's story. And so that calling it Mallory, leaning on this thread that was around since, you know, since 06 the original, the one that I scrapped again. But there was a familiarity to everything. So writing the second, getting into getting into it a second time actually felt like really good. You might imagine that there was some like pressure because the movie did really well. Um, Bird Box obviously has done well in like the horror world and in the world. And the book means a shit ton to me. But I didn't feel any pressure really, like at all. I, I, I was just like, no, I just like writing Mallory's story. I don't, this is fun. I almost feel more pressure working on Carpenter's Farm than I than I did writing Mallory. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'd have to imagine that um, with like the when the success level of something um, increases, also the expectations of the fans is something that even whether you let it influence you or not is something that you're more aware of. Um, so to me, that would be the the factor that I would be. Um, I, if I were in your shoes worried about is like, I don't want to um, let the story be tainted by what people expect or want to happen or, you know, that type of thing and stay true to what the story is. Well, Does that I make think, sense? Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a couple ways of looking at it or something. It's like, God, can you even imagine like George Martin or like Patrick Rothfuss? Like, well, let's say George Martin, like how, oh, yeah. how insane that I just can't yeah. even freaking imagine sitting down around, and supposedly he already kind of works slower. Like, I can't even imagine what's going through that guy's mind when he, when he would sit down in the middle of all that. Right. Like, mm -hmm. but then I got a smaller taste of it with Mallory to bird box. And 
I, I don't know how to explain it. It's just the sense of like, I don't know. I'm even a fan of spectacular failures. So it's like, <laughs> like Ishtar or something. So like, if this like, you know, I, like, I don't know, there's something cool too. If, if George R. R. Martin put out a book that was just terrible, like there's something awesome about that too. Right. I fully so, agree. I think, right. So I think that there's, you know, all those things. That's one of the joys of being a student of the genre is that you're aware of the, the failures as well. And, and, and you kind of almost like those writers better for having them, but Mallory, no. Wow. I felt, I felt great that whole time, man. Like, I don't know if I would ever write another one. And, and if you read um, the book, you'll whatever, see whatever, if, it, if you think it's ended <laughs> or not. Um, but I, 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 I do know that I freaking love hanging out with her, man. I really do. She's just like, it's very like, okay. All right. It's almost like, I'm like, okay, this is what we're doing. Yeah, well, <laughs> tell me. All right. I'm listening to you. You're your mom. <laughs> well, I'm going to be very honest with you. Like th there's something that happens with us in the podcast where when we know we're going to read a book, um, I don't feel the impulse to like, you know, look ahead to see what it's about. So I, I know nothing about um, oh, anything about what the book is. So is there what's what's the general idea with with this one if you have something that you pitch out there um i haven't done this much yet um i had one interview <laughs> about it um I, i'm gonna do it in the vaguest terms possible it's it's 12 years after they arrive at that school for the blind so tom and olympia boy and girl are now 16 um and they're living somewhere, and a census man, which is what an interesting person in that world is census, you know, <laughs> taker would be, someone going around trying to take stock of where everyone's at, delivers them um, records, uh, you know, survivors, this kind of thing. And, and in the papers that he delivers them is, is, is uh, information that possibly someone in Mallory's life is actually still alive, and that maybe, maybe she has to find out if that's true or not. And um, that's all I'm going to tell you. And that's a very small <laughs> piece of that book in a, in a certain way. You'll see what I mean. Um, mm -hmm. But that is, that's where it starts, pretty much. That's awesome. Right. I like that, the, that's like, it. you like, know, post-apocalyptic post census taker is a, <laughs> is a really interesting look yeah. at things, I guess. Yeah. Like, where are we at here? Oh, man, well, you know, there's like an engine that runs over there. There's a car. No, an engine. <laughs> so we we're we're aware that you know del rey purchased um a significant portion of your back catalog and i'm really excited um to get to goblin and on this the day of the pig um thoughts on the kind of you know what i'm imagining is going to be a wider release i know that both of those were kind of like limited edition yeah um thoughts on getting that into fans hands oh my god Dude, I'm so excited. So they got a house at the bottom of the lake, which I, yep. which comes out later this year, um, in like in right around Halloween, I think. Which awesome. They're gonna have to like, I think they're gonna have to fan it up a little, the font on that one, to make it <laughs> its own book. But but it doesn't it doesn't have to be quite children's book, but but somewhere between here and there. Um, and uh, and then Pig and Goblin, I think, are, are they both next year? I think they may both be next year. And then Spin a Black Yarn which is a collection of um, shorter stuff would be the fourth book that they got in that, that they picked up in that deal. Dude, I am so excited about that because 
okay, how do I explain this? So each one so far, each book has alternated between um, Big Five and and Indie, right? Mm-hmm. So there was Bird Box, House Bottom Lake, Black Mad Wheel, um, Goblin, on Barry Carroll, uh, on This the Day of the Pig, Inspection, and then by the way, Mallory was supposed to be the next one, but Carpenter's Farm, which is oh, free. Yeah. Free on a website and then Mallory. So the whole way so far has has uniformly alternated. So for me, from my angle, that's that's good enough. I mean, are you kidding me? Right? That's that's <laughs> the greatest thing ever. This system or this uh, what's happening. But to hear that those other ones are going to be on the same shelves, you know, Pig. Oh God, I love that book. Um, <laughs> Pig is just like so much fun and and Goblin. There's just so much color. I just feel like it. Just sometimes when I read a review of um you know, like uh, Inspection, let's say. And I and I can tell that the reader has only read like Inspection and Bird Box or something. And I, and I can, t- and I also sometimes I'm like, oh, I think that they would love Goblin, but there isn't a Goblin for, that, for them to, mm. to be had. Or I think like, oh, I think this person would like House judged on a review or something, but there isn't one to be had, you know? So for me, this is really exciting as shit. I don't know what they're gonna like exactly look like, like cover art, I don't know how much they're going to change, if there's going to be a uniformity to all this. I, I don't really know the plan on all that yet. I imagine House of Bottom Lake's got to be coming probably sooner than later. But but that's um, it's it's exciting as hell, man. Yeah. So that's it's interesting um, that you're talking about how, like the, the kind of limited release life that these, these books originally led versus how they're going to be like a wider release. And one of the things that we try to do on the podcast is focus on books – that if we talk about it, people can also have access to it. So sure. books like Goblin uh, or, you know, other limited release books, like, of course, we want to, you know, review it and talk about it. But if people can't get their hands on it, like it, it makes it difficult to talk about. So um, that's, that's I don't even know if I have a question there, but it's interesting. Like, I love the idea of a special limited release. Like the Goblin book is gorgeous. Pig is gorgeous. Um, and I'm very proud to have my, this is horror copy of house of bottom of the lake. Um, but which by the way, the cover art on all of the three I just mentioned are all amazing. Um, but yeah, like the wide, the wide distribution thing is something that will end up being better for like the readers in general. Yeah. And then, you know, it starts to, I've always felt this way and I'm, I'm sure I've talked to you guys about this before that one of the excitements about being um one of the advantages or one of the perks of being a prolific is um is that you kind of remove the spotlight off of a single work of art the prolific like let's i am a prolific right the prolific has like a body of work that that becomes almost sort of like um like stephen king obviously is like this hitchcock was like this um, Bob Pollard, Guided by Voices, is definitely like this, where it almost starts to be, uh, Joyce Carol Oates is for sure like this. It starts to have, like, it becomes more the, um, how they play off each other versus a single work, right? Um, whereas, like, you know, if you wrote one book in your life and it's awesome, I mean, come on, that's, that's freaking amazing. But as a writer, it, do, it removes some of the, I want to say pressure, but some of the spotlight off each one. So, to me, to, to have Goblin, Pig, um, House of Bottom Lake, and Spin of Black Yarn, too, to have that in the, the fold, in the, even, you know, let's just say even, like, in the horror scene, right? To have it 
those like um, consciously like a part of the quilt rather than, you know, I feel like without it, I feel like half of this um, uh, canon is missing right now. Yeah. And I'm not trying to talk about myself in such a, oh, my canon, you know, but you understand what I mean. Like, <laughs> like half of this is like missing. So sometimes you're like, oh, God, I wish this fucking guy had Goblin, you know? And so so it really does. It it, it helps in more than just like, um, I think if you read Goblin, it makes Carol better. I think if you read Carol, it makes Pig better. Mm-hmm. And I've always felt that way when I get into like a writer i would I, I typically would read like eight books by the guy or girl in a row you know that kind of thing and like get to know them and they each kind of play off each other and if there's a lemon in there like we said before well that's kind of interesting too totally. and so yeah. right and so i think that adding these four in just even helps the ones that are already out yeah let me substantiate um what you said there so prior to doing this podcast i was like an absolute completionist for for favorite authors and there would be nothing more frustrating (laughs) than knowing there's something out there that's out of print i mean obviously digital books has changed that somewhat um because you know growing up if something was out of print if your library didn't have your local bookstore didn't have it you're kind of out of luck there wasn't really a way to get it so I, i just remember being god like 18 and being at a garage sale and i don't remember what the book was but i was like holy shit this is the one i couldn't find and like being so excited not only did i spent like 50 cents to buy a book that i've been wanting to read for a few years but the fact that i actually captured something so i think for a lot of yeah. a, a lot of your fans this is going to be that moment where they're like, you know what? I, I didn't get in on Goblin. I, I couldn't afford it at the time during limited release, whatever it is. It's going to be that opportunity for them. It's the book that got away and a chance for them to get it, which reminds me again of this experience of, you know, a garage sale of all places, finding that one book that, that it eluded me. So it's, it's, yeah, it's super exciting for awesome. readers. It's, yeah. And, and it's <laughs> for you, like I said, I mean, I think that, and, and again, I'm not an artist, but I would think you want your work available to anybody who yeah. wants to have it. So yeah. there is something really cool. Um, God, I remember buying a limited edition Jonathan Carroll book again, probably 25 years ago and, and, and enjoying it. Like I read it in such a way that I never opened the book all the way. You know what I mean? Like I'd, I'd only crack it open to like 45 yeah, degrees yeah. I got, dude, I to got not. Yeah. 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 So, um, you know, but at some point, and I, I don't know if that book ever made it into wide distribution, but there's somebody it was like, a, it was limited to like a hundred copies or something. I paid a ridiculous amount of money. It was like 50 bucks <laughs> for like a 70 page book or whatever it was. But, you know, there's that Jonathan Carroll fan that never got to read that. So if, and when that does become available, that, that makes it so much cooler. Yep. Man, I feel like, you know, I'm like surrounded by the, by the kind of thing you're talking about right now in this office, you know, I'm like looking up, not, not limited edition necessarily, but, but, you know, just to jump on one thing you said, uh, garage sale, like, do you find yourselves like you almost don't want to buy something on eBay because like, you just want that fucking moment of seeing it live. Like, like I'm just, I'm just looking around at oh, any of them, you know, where, where it's like to find even like the believers. I'm okay. I'm, I'm just looking at the, the, well, actually the believers was a book first. Um, okay. The believers that became the movie, the believers, right. To, just find the believers, you know, uh, in, in, in like uh, any, any used bookstore in the world would be like, oh, ooh, wow, the believers, this is that Martin Sheen movie, blah, 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 you know, rather than like on eBay, like searching rare horror, you know, you yeah. know, which I do all the time, rare <laughs> horror paperback, you know, and it's like, no, stop it. Just go find them <laughs> in the wild, man. One time I, I was telling Allison, like she wanted to travel on like just road trip travel. And I was like, oh God, that sounds like crazy to me right now. But if you presented it to me in a way of, hey, Josh, 
you want to go to like a bunch of used bookstores all over the country? I'd be like, yeah, yeah. let's Dude, so uh, one of the things that I started doing uh, like five or six months ago was um, I have a, a mission to have a physical copy of every book that we've reviewed on the podcast. Um, and that's like uh, we're close to 300 books now that we've that we've talked about. And that's an awesome the, idea. And I, thank you. Um, and at, at the time, I probably had like 120, 130 of them. And so that's what I did. I just started um, hitting up used bookstores specifically just to see like what I could discover. And it was a nice kind of, it was a nice experience because it got me out. It got me into bookstores looking at, you know, all the different titles that were out there. But when I did come across one of the ones that I needed that wasn't on my list, man, that was like the best, like the most rewarding experience. So <laughs> yeah. it's yeah. way better that way than just going on to Amazon or a books or something like that and, and click, yeah, clicking yeah. around. And eBay's, you know, eBay's a little cooler, right? Because, because <laughs> you know, then I'd say Amazon or whatever. But I mean, I mean, whatever. I'm not. It's closer to gambling to on eBay. <laughs> but you, there's nothing like it, man. There's nothing like I, dude. I found a first edition um, mint the cipher at a used bookstore. I in one right, right, one right around here, Kathy Coaches. I just wow. walked in and I was like, it was like four dollars fifty cents. I'm like, that this book is. I even I but. There, there is that moment where I don't know how you guys handle this, but that moment where you, where, when you got a serious fucking find, and you're like, do I tell them that this is fine, <laughs> or do I just say for fifty? Yes, thank you. You know, but I did. I walked up and I'm like, you know, this this book sells for like like 150 at least online. He's like, oh nope, that's what it was. It was 450. I'm like, great. That's I, good. I, I, I have a weird, a very weird somewhat related story so probably about 20 years ago i was in a thrift store and uh my girlfriend wanted to look at some stuff and i was bored out of my mind but they had a section that was like a weird like antique section like it was a whole separate room that had someone that like worked a different register so i'm just wandering around there looking at like kind of cool old lamps and stuff and i find a box and so i it, there's nothing on the box that says what it is so i open the lid and it is a legitimate gas mask Wow. So I go, well, this is kind of interesting, but they're handwritten text on it. So I, I don't exactly know if this says it's like $38 on it. So I go, I don't know if I want to pay $38 for this gas mask, but I'm thinking I'm just going to leave it on the coffee table in the living room just to fuck with people that come over. So I walk up to the lady and I have the box open and I go, um, can you tell me how much this is? And she looks at the box. She goes, what the hell is that? And I said, it's a gas mask. And she goes, um, and she looks at the tag and she goes, uh, $8. So I repeat it back to her. I go, $8. And she's like, all right, how about six? And I was like, <laughs> yeah. Like, cause I would have paid you like double that, <laughs> you know? But I was, I was like debating, like, is 38 bucks like the price I want to pay? So she's like, six bucks. So yeah, you find to find. It's, it's, it's yours <laughs> to take, I think. But um, Rob will have to edit this out if I'm wrong. Do you not own one of those? weird old-fashioned paperback spinner racks like the really shitty ones from like the 70s that you'd find in like a like a pharmacy for like paperback books i sure do and it's new to me um (laughs) the guitar player of the high strong stephen palmer his wife ellen um called me somewhat recently and she was like hey uh i'm at this place and they got those those racks for like paperbacks i'm like yeah i want it (laughs) she's like there's two of them there's the tall i want the tall one Okay, all right. And she she drove it over right after. And right now, I'm looking at it right now. It has, first of all, uh, it has Rage, the oh, freaking I'm aware. Oh, super bad. It has the Kill Riff, 
Who Fears the Devil, The Crone, Blood Farm, which is maybe the greatest like font and cover of all time, <laughs> Isabel, Claws. I, I mean, I could stand up and move, but I'm not going to. That's everything I can see from here. <laughs> oh, from below. Yeah, Nightscape, or yeah, Nightscape, <laughs> The Amulet, uh, The Frightmare. No, I don't know what that one's called. Oh, Ghost Story. Like a cool old, um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, it, oh, what is that one? What is that one? Oh, uh, <laughs> uh, I can't read, I can't read it. Again, I could just get up, but it's kind of fun. No, to no. Yeah. <laughs> of, of all the cool things I see people post, because most of my social media is just writers anyway, right? I just remember seeing that and thinking, like, that might be, like, the coolest homage especially to like yeah. classic horror books. And I'm saying classic, I'm talking like seventies, eighties, you know, not necessarily, yeah. you know, Bram Stoker or whatever, but I just remember seeing that and I was like, see, this is a book lover. This is someone that can appreciate that shitty spinning rack that like you oh, said, is, it, anybody my age grew up. That's what you did. You went into a place and you spun that rack looking for something to read. So I thought that was so cool. I mean, for better or worse, I, I think my office smells like 1986. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say for that, better. That might Sometimes that, might, that might be worse. I might have yeah, to chime in on opinion on that. <laughs> I think eighty six probably smelled better at the time. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I'm assuming Rage was one of those like bookstore finds where you found yeah. it for three dollars. Yep. Yeah, here, no, no, it was super <laughs> expensive. But here's the thing: I, I almost feel like it was like a mistake because. I don't know what you call this, where it's like it's almost like the covers like laminated. Do you know what I'm talking about? Where it's like, oh, yeah, like you know what I'm talking about? Where it's like wrapped in not tape, but I can send you a photo up close of it. Um, it's one of those though, where I'm like, wait, what the fuck? You know what is this? And it was like, was it 200? It was something like it was a lot, man. It was a lot. And yeah. but but Rage is online for like like eight nine hundred. I mean, it's crazy. But but so then I was like, so okay, this is this is a lot of money, and it's kind of a weird, fucked up version. It, it's the real deal, but it, there's something mm-hmm. like maybe it was a library book. It's I don't even know. I don't know, but I bought it. So sometimes <laughs> I worry that that rage, like, like I still have my eye on like a better one. And then I know a guy who um, bought like an entire like a state recently or a uh, few years ago, but the the person had like a warehouse of. All, this this is going to drive you guys crazy. Of all horror novels, sci-fi, fantasy, magazines, all that. But all untouched and in, like, plastic, oh, right? Wow. Like, he collected, right? And he had nine copies of Rage. <laughs> all right. I'm not going to beat that, but I have a good one. Um, I have an uncle who lives uh, in uh, just outside Washington, D.C. And what he does uh, as a hobby is he'll go to thrift stores, garage sales, uh, sometimes use bookstores, but usually he goes to like the, like, you know, he'll do estate sales, libraries will do sales, things like that. And he just knows like about rare books. And so he find that's, that's his whole, like his whole outside of work life is just f- digging for gold. And, um, one of, one of the things that stood out to me when he was showing me like his, his extensive, just, just piles of books everywhere in this, in his little library and um, one of the things that stood out to me was he's like, oh, you're never going to believe this. And he pulls out. He's got two copies of Rage. Wow. That are like, I didn't look at the condition up close because I was just like, it's just good enough to know that he has them. But uh, of all of his collection and I've seen, he has a lot of really interesting stuff. That was the one that stood out as far as like the, the cool factor goes. Man, right now there's four, there's a copy of the UK 
first edition of Rage, Roadwork, Running Man, and um, The Long Walk. And all four of them are like, holy shit, mint. Like, I don't usually care about that kind of thing so much, but these are like astonishingly good condition. If you go on Pinterest, if you just look up like <laughs> The Long Walk, first edition, it'll probably like pop up. But here's the thing, all four together, 1850. And I'm like, oh, dude, <laughs> no, my God, what? So I'm like, again, you know, that, I don't know, if you can do it, do it, I guess, right? But it's like, well, how would it feel to find these, though? Yeah. But, but those are UK paperbacks. I mean, I don't know. That's going to be like, that would be, un- that'd be an unfathomable find, and especially to get them all together. <laughs> it occurred to me that there might be people who don't who are listening who don't know what that is. So that was the first uh, the first book I believe that Stephen King wrote under the Richard Bachman name, and I think it didn't do very well. Right? The craze came after people figured out that it was Stephen King. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Well, I don't I don't know the exact story, but yeah, yeah I'm sure. I read something where yeah, where he he wrote something about that, right? On being Richard Bachman or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. He, something where I don't I don't know, but but those yeah. four like. I mean, Rage is kind of like the holy grail of, you know, like a mint copy of Rage would be like the holy grail of horror paperbacks, right? I, again, I think you think they go for like 900 online and shit. And it's only, it seems like that's only going up. So yeah. I have this weird wonky laminated one, but I love it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's better than not having the weird wonky laminated one. <laughs> yeah. Um, I love it. I haven't read it though. Cause like, I don't know. I don't want to read about a school shooting. You know what I mean? I'm like, nah, I don't. Well, and I, the magic might be gone after you read it. That might be one of those things that, 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 like, you know, sort of the myth of it is better than the the actual content. This might be one of those. Yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure one of your listeners right now is like, no, like <laughs> you, <laughs> you idiot. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but maybe one day I'll read it. But I don't know. I'm just like definitely not right now. I need right now. Fantasy has been working out for me. By the way, like Terry Brooks. Um, he's on Del Rey and I met him when we were in Chicago and, um, the coolest freaking guy, man, him and his wife were amazing. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to read those sort of Shannara books. And I started reading them and then this virus thing is going on. And I got to tell you guys that fantasy is an excellent, like sort of balm right now. And I saw, um, I think it was Nathan Ballingrun, like. I think he wrote that he's reading The Hobbit right now and that he feels like fantasy is a good, like, balm right now. Also, it's like, I don't know. It's like the imagination, you know, just as wild as horror, but, you know, without quite the, with, with chances are no brutality. And you know what I mean? A little less, at least. Um, and then this sort of, sort of Shannara, these Shannara books are like, I don't know. It's like, it's like they're just fun. And I kind of like need that right now because of all this stuff going on, you know, and Carpenter's Farm is like a head trip. So it's kind of nice to have to be working on that and then go to a book that's just like flat out fun. Yeah, I could definitely see that. I could see why why that would be just like uh, even just like an escape from reality. So one of the books that we recently reviewed was Providence by Max Berry, which takes place in outer space and you're fighting an alien, like a very aggressive alien race. So just being removed from. Yeah where we are and what's going on, I think yeah. can be very helpful. For yeah. sure. And there's something like fantasy, not all the time, but fantasy is warm, you know, there's something there's, I don't know what it is, but it's always been warmer to me. Sci-fi has always been a little colder. Horror has definitely always been home, but fantasy is <laughs> like warm, almost like, I don't want to say cheesy, but, but sometimes to like a real, like if horror, if you're on a strict horror diet, fantasy can sometimes feel like maybe like dessert, you know, <laughs> 
And like, <laughs> you know, but, I've, been a, I've been on a strict horror diet for like 20 years, man. It's been terrible for my skin. <laughs> <laughs> I think the, the thing about horror versus those other genres is um, most horror is you can really put yourself in the position of the protagonist. Um, the thing that's that's harder about fantasy is to me, for me at least, and I, I think maybe I speak for a lot of people, is the protagonist in that knows a lot of things that you don't. Like they know what the orcs are and they know about the war between, you know, whatever fantasy races you're talking about. So I think for me, I find it easier to put myself in horror or crime or whatever, but something that's more grounded in reality uh-huh. that I can put myself in that position versus being a blue haired, long eared elf for example, is something I have a harder transition into a story to kind of let it surround me as a, as a reader. Right. But then some, at a moment like right now, it's like, it's almost like I would rather be hanging out with someone who knows a bunch of shit. I don't, you just, you lead the way (laughs) (laughs) because I'm, 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 I'm surviving on like this low hum of anxiety right now. So I'm just going to like, you hold my hand and take me with you for the next two months, man. (laughs) I know that, um, Paul Tremblay's, uh, next book. And I only know this from reading some stuff on social media. Cause again, I haven't read the the synopsis, but it has something, you know, along the lines to do with some type of outbreak, you know, so there's some authors that are positioned either really well or really poorly right now with with books that kind of encompass some type of viral infection i think that in in paul's case i think that like whether that whether i know what you mean by position good or bad who's it's hard to tell at this moment in time but i think with him and and maybe with everyone um it's he's gonna be the book's gonna be fine in the long run why because he's great and and his body of work is great and so i think you know i i don't know i'm not it's not like i've talked to him about this um but if he or other authors are kind of like, oh, shit, man, I got a fucking pandemic book, right? <laughs> I Like my, my distant word of advice or something would be like, you know, eh, don't worry about it. Like, you know, if you, I mean, the book's going to eventually have its own like space when this is when this moment in time is behind us. What I really feel bad about or, or just worried for or something is maybe the, the person who was like literally had a release day of like March 1st or something, you know? Yeah. yeah. Like, right at the head before we really knew what was going on so for you to have a book coming out as we we don't like we we all go from what's that going on to oh shit and you have a book and you're trying to talk about it and a a tour canceled that's the stuff where i'm like oh boy but the same thing i would say to them um in in a more optimistic way is like you wrote like like elma katsu's the deep is great right oh yeah and hers came out kind of in a weird spot right here. Well, guess what? The book's freaking awesome. It's going to have a life of its own, probably be made into a movie one day, all these exciting things. <laughs> you will get through this moment, but but yes, this is a weird moment in time for not just pandemic authors, but like anyone releasing a fucking book right now. Well, let me tell you that we are absolutely capitalizing on that because like in a situation where you can't <laughs> leave your house, we are very much a nice port in that storm. So um, we're doing our best to just like, you know, reach out and talk to like way more authors than we usually do. Um, and it's working like we're, we're, we're connecting with people that maybe we wouldn't think to usually like, or just like we didn't, we didn't, wouldn't put the energy into it. But since like me and Livius are both, well, Livius is still doing his normal job, but I'm kind of, I'm working from home and it's easier to, to like manage time. Like we've ramped up a lot of what we're doing because suddenly we have 
maybe access we didn't before. So it's something. Yeah, but that's um that's a good thing, you know. That's like that like you like people need you guys right now. Yeah. So that's that, that's a that's a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> More of you guys right now. Oh, seriously. Um. So we talked about like all the books that are coming up. Um. Uh. That Del Rey. We talked about those the four books, and then also obviously you have Carpenter's Farm going on. But is there anything else that should be on people's radar? I, I know that that's plenty. But I don't know if there's anything else you got you got in the works. No, nope, that's it. The, the, the boys and I are working on a new album called Southfield. And we're getting to the point where we're starting to get a little impatient. Um, and where I may sing like a song on my machine here. And then like send the email of the vocal track to the bass player, Chad, who would then mix it into the song. So like we are working on an album. We have like the basic tracks or so to like 20 of them, 20 songs down. Um, we haven't sang everything. We were supposed to really, you know, it was supposed to be happening right now, just like everyone else is put on hold. Um, but that's that's the gist of it, man. Carpenter's Farm in Southfield is what I'm working on now. And Allison is doing like an, an ungodly amount of like home improvements while I'm doing this. <laughs> Allison's repainting the entire house. And it almost looks like when I leave the office, it's like we live somewhere else every time. And then... Um, and that, that's where we're at. I don't know. I just want people to know, like, you know, with the Carpenter's Farm, it's like, man, I just, you know, if you're all freaked out, man, so are we. So, uh, you know, all three of us are freaked out. So literally everyone's freaked out. So I'm I'm hoping, whatever, that, that this connects with at least one person. And like you said, maybe even inspire someone to write a book. Um, but even beyond books and whatever, let's, I would say that I'm I'm camped out on the, optimistic side of the line right now and and through this experience but i am also waking up certain mornings with an arm or a leg on that line you know and i'm like oh like <laughs> sheer dread and then like by you know an hour later i'm like okay okay we can fucking do this um whatever i just want to tell everyone like i relate we all relate and let's just let's get through this fucking thing together man hey i have a question although that was like the perfect ending point so, um, cause we don't talk a lot about your music because Rob and I are not people, you know, who, who know a lot about music, I, I guess. How, how weird is that? So I'm going to assume that with the high strung, that most of the stuff, your previous material was recorded like in a studio, right? Like sitting across from one another, it has to be a vastly different, I, I, I would think it's a vastly different world to like be in your home collaborating yeah. with something for music more so than it would be for like what we're doing right now or uh, yeah. your collaboration for Carpenters, yeah, then, uh, you know, you know what? I, I wonder though, I'm like, maybe there's something to this. Like I haven't done it yet this way, but what if I feel a little looser just being like on my own in this office, singing this song? Like maybe I might try something a little weirder. You know how like Tom Petty has that song that he kind of sings like in an Italian accent or something. The, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like I'm not saying I'm going to do that, but, but like maybe I'll do some a little, maybe I'll like go for it a little bit more or try more of like a different, I don't know, style because there's literally no friend or bandmate like watching me do this. I'm just saying maybe this could work out. I, I, I'm going to do it. Um, we're trying to do it where, where Mark writes the words to this one, then I sing them, then I send that to Chad and he mixes it in the song so that we're all like involved in it, you know? And um, we'll see. I'm actually, it sounds like cold to be removed from each other, but like, I don't know, maybe, maybe artistically this is actually, maybe this could be good. Let's find out. 
uh, I've always leaned toward the what I like about what you just said is like the attitude is very much like I'm not going to let obstacles get in the way of of doing the thing. And I've always kind of tried to be that way as much as possible, which explains why me and Livia started a podcast when I was living in Vermont and he was in Illinois. We're not going to let yeah. 900 miles get in the, in the way of us <laughs> talking about books. So I, I definitely yeah. like the, the optimism and the positive approach you got going on. All right. Great. Good. Well, let, let's talk to each other in June and see where I'm at. No, I, I... <laughs> <laughs> By then, I'm like, I'm writing a book a day, guys. It's unbelievable. <laughs> oh, no. You're becoming the book. Uh, well, hopefully we can have you back on after we've read Mallory. That's something we'd like to do and, and to do this again because this is a great time. Um, I just want to thank you for Carpenter's Farm. I guess there's nothing else I really want to say. Like we've talked about it a lot. I just want to say thank you because it's it's a nice welcome distraction for me. Um, it, it fits in perfectly in between having to read a book a week for the podcast that I can just pick up a couple chapters here and there um, as they come out. So um, I guess I, thanks for what you're doing. All right. Well, right on. Okay. Yep. Uh, yeah. Awesome. Uh, thanks for saying that. <laughs> I just turned red. I just turned red uh -huh. on air. <laughs> <laughs> you made him blush, Livius. <laughs> Josh, thanks so much for taking the time to, uh, to the extended amount of time. Good Lord. We're almost at two hours now to talk to us. I think that, um, for me, uh, it, it just, it, it's refreshing to have these types of conversations where it's very free form and we're just talking about what's going on, but also to pick your brain at the same time. So thank you so much for the conversation. We always love having you on. Yeah. I, I, I loved it too. Thank you guys. And uh, you know, I love what you guys are doing and I, I'm excited to hear. I'm excited to hear your 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 two max episodes coming up. <laughs> um, what a great conversation that was! You know, a, a great guest, someone that's been too long, and and we we clearly discussed after we stopped recording with Josh that it's uh, we're not going to let yours go by again. So he'll definitely be back for Mallory, and who knows what else? Yeah. So if uh, if you didn't get from this um, conversation that we just had, that like Josh is someone that. Um, you should be reading his stuff and, and checking out what he's doing. Um, I'm going to tell you right now, you should definitely check out Carpenter's Farm. And um, he's got all of these previous books available. And you can just tell, like, he really, he's got an enthusiasm for books and storytelling and stuff that, that makes me want to push a little harder than usual to get people to support him because the man is just doing amazing stuff all the time. Yeah, he's um, and I'm not saying this because we just talked to him. He is genuinely probably the most passionate person I know when it comes to horror. So that, I think there's a value in in knowing that someone loves the entire genre so much. Yeah. Um, by the way, I don't think we ever mentioned it. it's joshmallerman.com is where you can find Carpenter's Farm. Nine chapters up currently. Uh, I believe Monday chapter 10 will go up. Yep. Um, so. Speaking of, uh, we have more content coming uh, just in the next upcoming days. Uh, we will be posting our review of Grady Hendrick's book, The Southern Book Club's Guide to Slaying Vampires, is our next review, which is coming up in just a couple of days. And uh, we should be having an interview with Grady Hendrick's as well. So um, tons of content coming at you. So join us um, soon for more of that. All right, that wraps it up for this kind of bonus impromptu weird episode of Booked. Until next time, I'm Livia Snudden. And I'm Rob Olson. Keep reading.